Greetings, friends. Welcome to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where good taste and bad taste collide. Thank you for mixing that in, William. You're welcome. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic. I write for Slash Film. I don't have a cute nickname, but uh, my scintillating and far more intelligent co-host with much better taste than me, uh, William, he does. So, William, why don't you introduce why, yourself? Why, why does he always do that? My name is William DeBiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. I write for The Rap and Slash Film. And I also co-host this podcast with Whitney, who is smarter than me, oh, more gosh. handsome, <laughs> has a fuller beard. I just uh, I love him to pieces, really. He's a... I think you just need to shape your beard. You like to have sort of like a wide beard. Mm. You know, it kind of like sweeps outwards. You could sort I'm of going for shape. sort of a Zeus kind of look. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But whereas I try to keep mine sort of closely yeah. trimmed. It's yeah. just the looks we've chosen for ourselves. Sure. One is not better than the other. I, I think one is. But anyway, <laughs> uh, this is our podcast where we review the cinema. Hmm. And uh, this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're going to be reviewing the new releases, Spider-Man. Across the Spider-Verse, The Boogeyman, Follow Her, <laughs> and Shooting Stars. One of the many, many, many movies called Shooting Stars. Mm. Um, I remember there was one year uh, where a movie called Lucky came out. It was really, oh, yeah. really good. And then the next year, a movie called Lucky came out, and it was really, really good. Yeah. I mean, the... In 2009, I think there were, like, four movies that came out with a title of that was either... There was Nine, The Nine... The Nines, plural. District yeah, Nine. District Nine. A lot of Nines yeah. that year. Very confusing. Unnecessarily so, really. And usually that sort of thing is just a coincidence. Like, mm-hmm. people are working on these movies at different times, and they just happen to fall at the same time. Yeah. No secondary movies about Spider-Man <laughs> this year, as far as I can tell. That, well... No, no th- probably not. No, probably no now, secondary movies about Spider-Man. The world is... I think we're going to start with Spider-Man, because that's like... It's the big release. It's, it's the big release. We usually um, start with the biggest, widest man. release. Yeah. I believe this is the, uh, all told, the 15th feature film about Spider-Man, well, if you count the well, TV movies. Yeah, that's a question. Uh, so there's the there were the... Uh, in the 1970s, mm. there was a live-action Spider-Man television series starring Nicholas Hammond as Peter Parker. The first episode of that was what we call a backdoor pilot, which means that if we decide not to pick this up, the pilot can be reused as a movie. Yeah, and that movie was released in theaters overseas, which which happened a lot in the seventies. A lot of yeah. TV movies that you think of as just TV movies in North America mm-hmm. were theatrical releases in usually in Europe. Yeah, and then there was uh, after that there were uh, two more movies starring Nicholas Hammond that were repurposed episodes of the shows, two parters that were then re-edited together mm. and again released overseas as a theatrical film. The first one, or rather, the second one was called uh, Spider Man Strikes Back, mm. and then the third one was like. Spider-Man the Dragon's Lair or something like that. I'm going to look that up, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. The but there were three of them. There were three yeah. of those. There was also, in the 1970s, concurrently with the Nicholas Hammond series, which was actually relatively popular, but the network wasn't super interested in being the superhero network because they already had Wonder Woman and no. Incredible Hulk, and they were okay. afraid of they were afraid they were chasing too young an audience, which is a weird mm. thing. Um, well, you know, the kids just grew up and didn't put down their toys, so now it's an adult audience, but it wasn't at the time. Yeah, uh, But uh, overseas, uh, in Japan, Japan, hmm. uh, there was a live-action Spider-Man series uh, in which, and this was the first kind of series to popularize this concept, uh, there was uh, a regular you know, human hero, occasionally he put on his superhero costume, and then in the last third of the episode, he would call forth his giant robot, 
yeah. to fight a giant monster. This is the exact mold that Mighty Morphin Power Rangers yeah, would later uh, popularize all over the world. But in the late 1970s, that was Spider-Man. Spider-Man did that. Um, yeah. However, the, the Japan I've seen a little bit of the Japanese Spider-Man TV series, uh-huh. and it is amazing. It's bizarre. Uh, it's wonderful. And there was a feature-length version movie of that. Oh, I didn't know about the yeah. that movie. I, 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 just I, knew the, I know about the series. That one, I've actually never seen that one. That one, I'm not 100% sure if that was you know episodes repurposed or if it's own special mm. thing, because I haven't seen that one. And, that, th- and yeah. that, that TV series was licensed by Marvel, by That's the official. Way. Uh, totally in, official. In fact, I think Stan Lee is even credited as like... Not just executive producer, he was like a creative consultant. He so wanted that these, to happen. That was a big idea. All of for these him. ideas, it's like, yeah, let's just do yeah. Spider Man in this sort of tokusatsu mold. We'll have the Japanese version of it. Yeah. So that's just as official as anything you might have seen, you know, on Saturday mornings in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, unofficially, I'm mm-hmm. oh, sorry, the other Spider Man movie was Spider Man The Dragon's Challenge. The Dragon's Challenge. Different thing. Right. Before any of that, there was an unofficial Spider Man movie. Oh, there was like a fan movie. Uh, this, this, no. was this the one about the fellow who like actually like swung on cables off of actual buildings and filmed himself doing it? And no, no, no. I'm not talking about that. That's awesome, though. I'm yeah. talking about the feature film made again overseas mm. in Turkey. Oh, called Three Dev Adam or Three mm. Giant Men. Three. Uh, it's. I don't know the Turkish word for three, but it's. If you, I think, wanna, I think, if you want to say it in Turkish, you would have to uh, fair enough. Uh, for three, but yeah. Touche. Uh, and that movie, if you've never seen that movie, that movie is a trip because that movie is an <laughs> unofficial. Uh, in Turkey, they were making a lot of unofficial genre intellectual property movies. There was a Turkish Star Trek, a Turkish mm. Star Wars, and they just used the names. Yeah, I, yeah. I've, I've seen Turkish Rambo. I've seen Turkish Star Wars. I've seen Three Devadam. Um, I these Tur- and- Turkish ET is a trip. <laughs> weird film. There's and- also. The other Turkish ET. <laughs> it's a lot of those. one Turkish ET ripped off the other one. It's pretty kooky. The and the thing is, these movies were never intended to be seen outside of Turkey. They didn't care about breaking someone's copyright because no one's ever going to see it, right? Then the internet gets invented and bootlegs get invented before that. Three Devanam is a superhero team up movie in which Captain America and the uh, and El Santo and El Santo, the luchador superhero. Uh, not played by the real El Santo, unfortunately, no, no, no. but because El Santo is an actual guy. Uh, they team up to fight a counterfeiting, mass-murdering Spider-Man mm-hmm. who can also clone himself. And this predates the part that's the bits in the comic where Spider-Man got cloned. So maybe <laughs> it's more official than we realize. Here, here's something fun about the clone saga. Uh, no, I, I read Spider-Man comics as a teenager. Sure. Um, which was in the 1990s, which I, I only learned in retrospect was the worst time to be write, reading comics. <laughs> you, you, you talk to like comic book scholars and people who have been following these stories for a long time. The time when I was collecting is like the low point. High point in sales, mm. low point in story. And, that, and that's uh, why, because what they were doing was they were ch- people had started realizing that comic books like could be big money if you collected them and protected them and mm. and so what they would do is they would release one giant event comic after another the death of superman mm. and what you'd have to do is you'd have to buy it twice because it was Once, one was in the polyurethane bag so you had to keep it in the bag forever so that that would retain its value mm. and they had to buy another one so you could so actually open, open it and it, read it, read it. Um, this was, was true for x-force comics because yeah, each one a, was packaged with a different trading card with different characters uh, but that, again that was in yeah, fact um yeah that was an x-men crossover event the mm. executioner's song 
wrong. Which well, started about, with uh, yes. X-Men, but it was also X-Force and Uncanny well, X-Men. X-Force at number and, uh, one yeah. was the one that was packaged with individual trading cards. I had one issue for each trading card and an issue to open. Of but here's the problem. So, so you bought like ten copies of the same exactly. kind. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and of course I was being scammed. And the problem with that, first off, is that they were putting more care into creating an event than they were into actually writing good comics. Some mm-hmm. of them were good. A lot of them weren't. The other problem was the reason why Action Comics number one mm. was selling for the numbers it was selling as was because there was a little thing called scarcity. If you print <laughs> a million of them, uh-huh. no one's going to spend a million dollars on that comic. And people realize this pretty quickly. And then the bottom fell out of that market. And mm. it was a whole thing. Yeah. Um, that that was me. That's that's the ethos I yeah. grew up with when reading comics. Uh, Does it have I, a hologram on the cover? Yeah. I'm in. I, I was sucker enough to do that a few times. Mm-hmm. Like, I bought it because it was a number one. And there were a lot of new characters and new number mm-hmm. ones. They rebooted series. They introduced mm-hmm. new series. Uh, new just costumes. So have, this is this is an important issue. Yeah, Make sure you get this one. I, Batman I, has a new costume. I bought an X-Force comic because it was one where they had new costumes. I didn't really care that much about X-Force. Uh but, uh, yeah, I, and I also got um, Iron Man number 300. I wasn't a fan of Iron Man, but sure. I liked the gold boss, like oh, gold I had stamping that one too. on that it. Was yeah. a cool looking they would emboss covers, they would stamp them, and they started to make fun of this after a while um, when uh, they spun off the Ren and Stimpy show into a comic book. Yeah. Marvel Comics did that. Yeah. Uh, they put it in the bag, and the bag was only partly opaque. There was like a little window, a clear window in the bag, so you could see through to a drawing. But once you opened it, you saw the speech bubble that was hidden that uh. said, you idiot, you opened the bag. The comic is worthless. Uh, so that, that was really cute. And, and um, that's actually a fun tie-in because the Ren and Stimpy comic hmm. was often, I don't know if it was exclusively, but a lot of them were written by a writer named Dan Slott. Mm. Dan Slott would go on to become, many years later, the regular writer of Spider-Man. I think right now he has written more issues of Spider-Man than any other writer in history. Yeah, he's... Uh, He's the Spider-Man guy. and like he one of, one of the Spider-Man guys. And it was his storyline that gave birth to the idea of the, quote, Spider-Verse. In mm. which every different version of Spider-Man that ever existed, alternate realities that we've seen, cartoon shows, movies, stuff that we've never seen that he just pulled out of his butt because it was a funny idea, uh, put them all together in one comic. That mm. was a Dan Slott, uh, yeah. uh, and, and the artists involved as well, mm. but that was Dan Slott. Uh... And then, of course, in the interim, we had the Tobey Maguire movies, we had the Andrew Garfield movies, and we have the Tom Holland movies. And then we had the animated movie Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which was the first big superhero multiverse movie. Yeah, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came in like a freight train. Uh, It was so striking and moving and dazzling in terms of its animation, in terms of its style. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it had characters that were drawn in different styles in the same frame. There was a yep. Spider-Man noir that was in black and white and shaded differently than the other characters. Mm-hmm. There was an, there was anime, an anime character. Yep. And all of these characters lived in the same frame together. And uh, what it pointed out was something... Uh, first of all, it kind of, in a very a clever kind of a way, tackled the idea of um, canon. Yeah. I think it understood that a lot of comic book nerds were out there debating who who really counts as the real Spider-Man. Yeah, you're not a you're uh, not a Spider-Man fan because you're not a fan of the real Spider-Man. The re- yeah, whatever and whatever. You only that like Miles is, Morales. You don't like you, what, Peter Parker is the real Spider-Man. Yeah, but which Peter Parker? Kind of There's like you know, exactly. all these different versions of him. So uh, what the Spider-Verse said is, well, you know, if all of these Spider-Man exist and they're all sort of heroes in their own universes. Mm-hmm. 
then they're just all Spider-Man, and that's they're all, fine. They're, they're all, all they're equally They're all valid. equally heroic, yeah. and if you like the story of this hero, then you like the story of a hero, and the heroism is the important thing. Yeah. Uh, and it was also really movie. funny, and it was yeah. really strange, and... Uh, the soundtrack is fantastic. The soundtrack is fantastic, and the, the animators kind of remembered that animation is a limitless medium. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever you want with it. You can have little words appearing on the screen. Oh. You can show whatever angles you want. You can turn the background into whatever wash of color you need to for the scene. It was this canny blend of cinema and comics. It almost felt yeah. like a new medium was being invented. I There's a scene, there's a moment in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It's a little moment. Mm. It's not a big moment. In, into or across? Into. All right. That is one of my favorite just incidental moments. Little detail. You might mm. not even notice it the first time you watch it. Yeah. But it's, and, and this is just so charming to me. Okay. That even if the rest of the movie was terrible, I would love it. There's a bit where uh, Spider-Man and Spider-Man, the uh, uh, sort of down-on-his-luck Peter Parker and Miles Morales learning to be Spider-Man. They're in a lab. They're trying to get some information about the Big MacGuffin, or the Goober, as they call it in that. (laughs) Uh, Oh, it's always a Goober. Um, They have to run out of the the building. They run through the mess hall. Spider-Man throws a bagel at a guy. It hits him in the head. Uh And you see, right outside of his head, as it hits his head, Bagel. Yeah. <laughs> it says bagel in letters. And I just, I love that. Mm. And there's actually a shout out to that in the new movie and it makes me really happy. Oh, I didn't catch it's, that. It's yeah. adorable. I'll, I'll tell you later, but like, it's not important. It's yeah. just cute. Um, but um, that movie is fantastic. That movie yeah, well, was critically acclaimed. That movie won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. And weirdly yeah. enough, lowest grossing Spider-Man movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, there was still uh, just sort of... Because Spider-Man was at concurrently also mm. being introduced to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, part right. of the Avengers series, and I think a lot of audiences preferred like that as the, quote, official version of Spider-Man, I think as opposed was... to these animated versions, which were arguing openly, they're all valid. And that's um, my thing. I think what happened is, I, I honestly think that there was a tendency, and this, movie, this new movie is making a lot of money, so I think, mm. I, I have a theory about that, but... When Into the Spider-Verse came out, it still felt like there are the real superhero movies, and then there's this animated movie. Mm. And there's we don't still animate a st- superhero movies. They're mostly animated anyway, but the, yeah. There's a, there's a stigma yeah. in, in Western culture in particular where uh, an animated movie is for children. Mm-hmm. Not even teenagers, children. It's not a four-quadrant movie. I think Sp- Into the Spider-Verse came out. Mm. Not everyone saw it in theaters. It did well, but it didn't break the bank. It was popular enough and acclaimed enough to get a sequel. And enough people finally saw it on like home video and streaming that the sequel yeah, well, is now a huge monster. And this, this that, happened that with... That happens a lot with yeah. where a, a, an original movie doesn't get acclaim until the sequel comes. I remember that when that happened with Austin Powers. Austin Powers. The, the first yeah. one was not a huge hit. It did okay. But it, it found its audience on home video. People exactly. rented it from Blockbuster. Terminator 2 was a much bigger monster hit than Terminator yeah, 1. Yeah, so Terminator is a great yeah. example. Uh, X-Men 1 did okay. X2, X-Men United was huge. Batman Begins, modest hit. Mm. The Dark Knight, Dark one of the biggest movies hit, yeah. of all time. I have a theory. It's not... It, and as with all of these kinds of theories, especially ones that have to do with box office, where there's a lot of X-Factors, a lot of nebulous mm. elements... Um, when it comes to sequels and the box office success of sequels, the box office success of a sequel, especially opening weekend, often has a lot more to do with how much people liked the previous film. Yeah. Well, look at something like um, 
uh, another superhero movie, Iron Man 3, opened to ginormous numbers. It was, Mm -hmm. I think it made like $175 its opening weekend. Like almost as big as the Avengers. Right. Because it was the first Avengers movie after the Avengers. Yeah, exactly. So people were high on the Avengers. It's Mm -hmm. like, we want to see more of that. And then it kind of fell off. And now it's sort of regarded as... Uh, like not as good as so, some as people. All that. Some people aren't like, a huge fan. You it's one of my favorites. It. I but, think it's um, great. Uh, so yeah, I I understand why something like Across the Spider Verse would be a big hit. Um, part of me is a little upset that the filmmakers went with a Spider-Man sequel instead of taking their clout that they earned with this and mm-hmm. doing something kind of even more striking and original rather than staying with the same characters, like m- moving away from any IP. Yeah, like, no IP, just eh. so, something entirely new. Don't don't. Get me to like a new Spider-Man. Get me to like something entirely different. Um, uh-huh. But uh, everything I said about Into the Spider-Verse mm-hmm. and all of its sort of striking gorgeousness and interesting ideas, double it. Because that, <laughs> that's across the Spider-Verse. It's huge. It's, it, it's much, much longer for one. But yeah. uh, but not in a way that bothers me. No, the pa- it's uh, paced like great, honestly. It's paced like, great. I think it's incredibly overwritten, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like, going even further with the animated style. Good God, this thing is, it's like pouring rainbows directly into your eyes in 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 the most pleasant possible way. It opens with this like really beautifully expressionistic bit of Gwen Stacy, uh, Spider Gwen, Mm. uh, who we met in the previous film, the version of Spider-Man where... She calls herself Spider-Woman. She don't give away her (laughs) The audience knows her as Spider-Gwen. It's it's like that one uh, old cartoon, Super President. Mm. I wonder who he could be. (laughs) He's the there's president, a, but he's a superhero. There's a joke. That show sucks. There's a, a Tiny Toon Adventures joke. Um, Babs Bunny, she has a superhero identity, and she's mm. super Babs. Yeah. And at the end, it's like uh, she's flying off, and she doesn't wear a mask. She just yeah. looks the same. And all of her friends who know her says, "I wonder who she really is." Yeah. And uh, and Plucky Duck says, "Well, who do we know named Super?" It's <laughs> a great joke. That was a cute joke. It's a great joke. Um, but uh, we see her, and she's just playing drums. She's like in a mm. band. And it's this wonderfully beautiful expressionistic it starts, just music video. It has yeah. nothing to do with the action, really. And it is much more about her emotions and what she's experiencing as a human being. Hmm. And then that somehow manages to explode into this gigantic action sequence but where a, a supervillain from another reality, hmm. a reality that is based entirely on Renaissance artwork. So he hmm. looks like he's been pulled out of like, like a parchment. Sepia tone drawn with he's, brown lines. He's made yeah. out of parchment. And they see that he's made out of parchment. This hmm. isn't like, this is actually just what his reality looks like. So now she's fighting a cartoon villain from a completely different universe, and then other spider persons from other realities come in, mm. and they're just like, "Hey, yeah, you, you didn't fix the multiverse; it's actually still fucked." Yeah, and so yeah. we have to we we've been assembling all the spider persons to mm. stop all of these villains who keep popping into the wrong realities and try to fix the problem. Yeah, and that's the basic uh, setup for the whole shenanigan. Th- th- this is like one of the most aesthetically powerful movies I think I might have Stunning. ever seen. I haven't uh, seen like a mainstream movie. Yeah. Even even the original Spider-Verse, which I guess is part and parcel with this, mm. like maybe Scott Pilgrim versus the world in terms of just trying, mm. trying to push yeah. as far as it can uh, go. And so like when all of this, the scenes with Spider-Gwen, like when she's alone, there's a lot, of, lot more close-ups. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more where she's really sharp, but the background starts to melt away into mm-hmm. colors. Um, but then there's other characters who themselves are really raggedy. There's a character we'll meet later on called Spider-Punk. I love Spider-Punk. Daniel Kaluuya. And uh, 
has like a you know spiked mohawk and a, a, a yeah. torn denim jacket and carries a guitar. It's like as Spider Man. Like, it's like if one of the Sex Pistols was bitten by a radioactive yeah. spider. That's the and, idea. And he pulls yeah. off his mask and somebody says, "How are we even cooler without the mask?" Uh, <laughs> and and the way they animate him is he looks like he's printed on like rumpled punk rock flyers and he's yeah. constantly changing colors throughout the scenes. Yeah, as, he's in as though every single frame he's in was pulled like from like a different magazine that you were making a collage like a zine. Of. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's amazingly it's cool. Yeah, um, and the main character Miles Morales, he's sort of the emotional heart of the story. He's yeah. played by uh, Shamik Moore, and uh, I think he's just my favorite Spider-Man. Now. He's I, wonderful. I I. Yeah. Used to be a fan of Spider-Man until I saw Spider-Man Far From Home and then I was just done. It's like, (laughs) this character has nothing for me anymore. The story is not interesting. The character has no personality anymore. Ironically. I'm I'm done. I'm done with Spider-Man. When I saw Far From Home, I was like, I don't particularly care for this version of Spider-Man. They won me back with No Way Home. I actually really like that movie. I like like No Way Home, but I still don't like that version of Spider-Man. I think he's kind of personality free. But here's the thing. That doesn't mean you don't like Spider-Man because there's an infinite number of Spider-People. I suppose so. I so, I, I guess if I have a new favorite, it's Miles Morales. Miles is wonderful. Um, yeah, and and he kind of is taking things a little bit back to basics in terms of like street level Spider Man. Mm-hmm. He, he lives in I think he lives in Brooklyn. I'm not 100. percent I think he's that, I think he's Brooklyn. He's New York. Uh, yeah. And he is dealing with Spider-Man stuff at the beginning of the movie. He yeah. needs to get into a new school, but he's late for a meeting because he has a fight with a villain. That's Spider-Man stories. Now. Very classic Spider-Man. Uh, the fight on the way is really innovative because he's fighting a bad guy called the Spot, who has like little portals in his body. Yeah. So if and, like you punch him, you like, will, your like, fist punch will go in, but it'll appear sort of randomly in the somewhere else in the frame. And yeah. uh, and that they do a lot of really innovative stuff with the way his body parts are sort of flying around and appearing in different places throughout that's the fight. so neat. It's, it's, yeah, and that's just sort of like a, a cleverly staged fight scene. Yeah. Uh, but he's he sees that uh, Spider-Gwen, who is from mm. a different reality than, mm. than his, uh, has joined this interdimensional cadre of other Spider-People. Yeah, she comes to visit uh, him. Mm. And uh, we, they, it's actually one of the things I love about this movie. Mm. As gigantic as it is, it's a maximalist dream. Mm. Just everything is extreme and gorgeous. Every scene is trying a different style. There's tons of incredible wild action. And yet, they know to stop and talk. There's yeah, a, great a, lot, bit, a lot of quiet moments. There's a great bit after that first fight with the spot and Spider-Man ends up uh, teaming up with a cop who just happens to be Miles Morales' dad. Mm. And they're just, the spot's been, the spot's gone, but the, the crisis has been averted. And they're just waiting for the cops to show up and they just sort of hang out like, so how are things going with your mm. uh, son? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it never feels great. like rushed or contrived. No. And I appreciate that. Uh, it, it does make the movie longer, but you know, it needs it, but, those, but these, it makes the moments. movie better. It makes the pacing better. So well, we it, it also lets you breathe a little bit between all of these like wild colors. If it was yeah. like as just uh, aggressively stylish as it is like during the action sequences throughout, it would be exhausting. Exactly. And, it, and you it, don't it want... knows how to pace. It's exactly. It knows when to just make um, real character moments. And so we mm-hmm. get all these wonderful real character moments between miles and Gwen, where they talk about how they feel isolated. There are things mm-hmm. they can't tell anyone else. They feel connected. We really care about them. Yeah, and there's a it, wonderful scene where yeah. they're sort of sitting on a building, looking out over New York and having a conversation. He, he's clearly in love with her, yeah. but she doesn't feel the same way. So it's yeah. kind of awkward. Or for at him. least it's more complicated. Uh, yeah. But because they're spider people, they can sit on the underside of like a buttress yeah. and, and look out on the city while they're hanging upside down. And that's because they're spider it's people. Distinct. That's, yeah. You couldn't get that so, scene in another movie. But yeah, so it uh, turns out Gwen is there on a Spider-Verse mission. Miles gets pulled into the Spider-Verse. He meets a whole bunch of Spider-Verse people. Mm-hmm. Turns out the Spot has found a way to travel between dimensions, and he's causing a lot of trouble. 
I don't want to go into too much further from there. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, that yeah. um, there's... He's not like the villain of the piece, but he is an antagonist. Uh, Spider-Man 2099. Yeah. Uh, it was a character I loved as a kid. I, I love those 2099 comics. They were so wild and stupid and strange. Yeah, there was basically... I was a big fan of X-Men 2099, yeah. which has nothing to do with the X-Men. No, it's weird. Uh, there, in, the, in the 1990s, there was an offshoot imprint of Marvel, much like the Ultimate... Uh, Spider, uh, the Ultimate Comics, which is Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate, which X-Men, I think Ultimate is even too old for a lot of our listeners as is. Basically, but, yeah. what happened was, in order to reinvigorate excitement into these characters and the Marvel brand, uh, they would release not one comic but a whole series of comics that take place in sort of an offshoot area. Mm. And the Ultimate Universe was basically like, hey, listen, every single one of our superhero comics has hundreds of is- of issues, decades yeah, of backstory. We're, we're rebooting all of your favorite heroes in the present day. Essentially. Yeah. So yeah. basically, what if Spider-Man was invented? Now and that mm. version became incredibly popular, and that version ended up leading to the creation of Miles Morales. So that's very important. One of the things that they tried in the '90s was uh, Marvel 2099, which was basically what will the Marvel universe look like in the year 2099? Mm. And the idea was they introduced a whole bunch of legacy heroes. Like this the, is what Spider-Man the, the, looks the like in 2099. The, yeah, the legacy of these heroes lasted into the future, so yeah. new characters. Yeah. Took on the mantle. And so Spider-Man 29, co- completely different costume, new mm-hmm. character, yep. totally different ethos, but he went by the name Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, we had X-Men 2099, mm-hmm. we had Doom 2099, which was That's actually Doctor, our that is Doom. Doctor Doom. Which is our, our Doctor Doom, who time-traveled into the future. Yeah. Create a little, got, bit, a little bit of connective tissue yeah. there. Um, uh, there. There was a Ghost Rider who was an android. Yeah, uh, that was great-looking comic, that one. I honestly don't remember anything that yeah, happened lot, in it, but of, the art was fantastic. A lot, lot of really cool art. The, yeah. the robot Ghost Rider was just kind of cool-looking. Mm-hmm. Um... Remember the one, Ravage? Yeah, well, I was about to say, the one that Stan Lee, who invented all of this, liked the best, and yeah. the one he wrote yeah. was Ravage 2099, a new character. Yeah. There isn't a Ravage in the present day. Yeah. Uh, he just liked this sort of, like, uh, future vigilante, like, tough guy vigilante. It was basically a tough guy vigilante who lived in a junkyard, and he mm. would take everyone's refuse and turn it into something... Heroic, yeah. positive, yeah. So, fun, you know, yeah. cool idea. Yeah. And and eventually he became a, like, he got infected with monster blood or something, and he grew, like, horns out of his face and became, I you remember that? For, I didn't uh, stick around that far. Uh, yeah. 2099. So, Spider-Man 2099 uh, is kind of the antagonist of Across the Spider-Verse, and he is essentially in charge of the interdimensional spider cadre. Yeah. And uh, he has a very specific mission in mind, and it's to protect spider people. In, yeah, from whatever dimension they happen to be. Because from. when you're when you're a spider person, you know the bunch of people they're very very different. There are uh, spider cowboys, spider cars that mm. are like sentient, like from the Cars universe. We already uh, met Spider Ham in the last movie, yeah. so the spider car. Uh, by the there's way, there's no, spi- named... no spider Ham in this one. By the way, I no. think he has like a cameo. It's like that. that the, that's frustrating because I like Spider. I wanted more of the car. Uh, the car's name is Peter Parked Car, uh-huh. the Amazing Spider Mobile. More, please. <laughs> I love that. I, I love that they're not afraid to go to really silly places. There's yeah. cameos from, like, the uh, 1960s animated uh, yeah. Spider-Man shows up in that style in, mm-hmm. in one scene. Uh, and a bunch um, of other versions as well. I was going to mention, the cl- because I was uh, collecting comics in the 90s, I'm yeah. very familiar with the Clone Saga, where right. Spider-Man was cloned. It, terrifically unpopular now. Really high selling at the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, Spider-Man was cloned. It was this villain called the Jackal was creating Spider-Man clones to create mischief. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and one of the... it Back in the 70s, Spider-Man was cloned, and that clone was thought to be dead, but he survived, and he came back and took Spider-Man's place. Well, the idea initially uh, was, we, we were going to, like, listen, you're we're both clones of each other. We should probably... 
do a scientific test to find out which one of us is the original. Mm-hmm. And the big twist was the Spider-Man that we, the audience, had been following since the 1970s, that had been the clone, been the, the, clone whole the whole time. And he yeah. agreed to let the clone... Mm-hmm. Who had been living take like, over Spider? Take over, like been, you know what? I've been Peter Parker for years. There's even it's, a, a mini, there's many years called Spider-Man: The Lost Years, and it was yeah. about what, what had happened in those twenty years. So that version of Spider-Man, the Scarlet Spider, shows up, yeah. and he's and, great. And I, I was fond of the Scarlet Spider, although in this version they changed the character to be like. I'm Broody's 90s guy. Uh, he's like leaning up against a wall. Hey, how you doing? I'm just thinking about my past. Oh, that was a hard memory. Like, he wasn't like that in the I think, comics. I think he's voiced yeah. by Andy Samberg. He's Andy Samberg, yeah. So it's played for laughs. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, the idea is you're not just getting spider powers. There are, have to, there are distinct parallels mm. in your life, and they might take slightly different yeah, forms. There's, but there's one of a, the, yeah. Well, but basically, some of these things need to happen. Mm. Or else all of reality will crumble. Yeah, it's, the, it's, it's like any sort of time travel movie where it's like, we can futz around a little bit, but there are certain things that yeah, can't change or else all of reality will be destroyed. We can't, the, uh, we can't prevent Mount Vesuvius from erupting to borrow a Doctor Who reference. Yeah, the, the, the Spider-Man origin story has, is you know incredibly fatalistic, especially when you're dealing with hundreds of spider people. Yeah. Uh, that means hundreds of Uncle Ben's have to die at some point, or his yeah. equivalent. Yeah. A- and... Uh, Miles Morales looked at that, and this is where like the moral center of the film comes in. and says, "Why do we have to let all those people die? Yeah, we're here. Great power comes great responsibility. Let's just save them." Yeah, and uh, and Spider Man twenty ninety nine says no, and that's yeah. what kind of and uh, that's there. So it, it sort of introduces this theme of anti fatalism. Mm-hmm. We're choosing. It's about free will. It's about choosing your own yeah. path. Uh, the only the, the major issue I have with the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have many issues. I want to. I want to say right away. I love this movie. Yeah, movie's amazing. I think it's really, really great. I think I like the original better. Yeah. Uh, my big issue with this movie is that it doesn't conclude. Yeah, uh, it's got it's, a cliffhanger. It's yeah. it's not just a cliffhanger. It introduces an idea right near the end that doesn't just recontextualize or like leave you on some sort of action hangover. Mm-hmm. Uh, cliffhanger hangover. Uh, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> fi- I'm fine with cliffhanger cliffhangers. We just had one with Fast X. Yeah. Which. I mean, that is like such a, a clunky, corny kind of action serial movie. Ending it on a cliffhanger is totally appropriate for a movie like Fast X. Sure. And I love where we left off with Fast X. How is he going to get out of this one? That's yeah. the big question. It's not that kind of cliffhanger with Across the Spider-Verse. It's mm-hmm. something that actually introduces an element uh, that contradicts the theme that was introduced earlier. Oh. And there needed to be a, a line of dialogue or mm-hmm. an action scene or something where we could actually have a, a little bit better of a counterpoint rather than this introdu- this hastily introduced idea. And I can't mm-hmm. say what it is without I, giving No, it no, away. we don't want to spoil it. We don't but, spoil uh, it. That would, that would be a proper spoiler. Actually yeah, there, ruin the movie. It would, yeah, it would kind of spoil the movie. But they introduced this idea at the end of the movie uh-huh. that is actually very pro-fatalistic. Uh-huh. Uh, and, I don't, and the movie ends right there having said both things without uh, really had the two ideas... Uh, mm-hmm. Interact with each other, and that kind of thematic cutoff yeah. uh, makes me feel like I haven't finished the movie yet. Well, and you there's, haven't. There's another one coming. A uh, Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse is coming in March. Yeah, uh, and work faster. And uh, I want it sooner. So please. I'm reminded very much yeah. of uh, the Matrix Reloaded in that because the Matrix was very striking, very yeah. very good, and then it had these two gigantic. Uh, it was like a two. By the way, I'm sorry, but, but we've got someone. The pipes in my building are really oh, loud yeah, right now. If you hear, some, some if you hear weird background noise, that'll be over in a minute. That's, yeah, that's, that's not your apartment; it's yeah. ours. Uh, but 
Yeah, in, in The Matrix Reloaded, there was... It's, it's like a two-part mega-sequel, Reloaded and Revolutions. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a, a trilogy. It was like yeah. one, one movie and then a, a, a two-part movie, second movie. Yeah, well, kind uh, of and, three, because The Animatrix was before that. And it really uh, gave movie, you a lot of relevant information. I guess so, the, the yeah. Animatrix as yeah. well. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like... And, and The Matrix Reloaded also ended with this really intriguing idea. Yeah. Uh, and I spoils for the Matrix Reloaded. It's like twenty, it's 20 years old, old movie at this point. Now, yeah. uh, so in the, the original Matrix, it was about how they discovered they were uh, humanity was being held in like pods in the distant future by yeah. this malevolent machine intelligence that was sucking off of their yeah. brains. We were trapped feeding, in a virtual reality. Yeah, so the reality we're we're experiencing is virtual, fed to us by a machine, uh, and humanity wanted to escape that. They wanted to get out mm-hmm. into the pods and take take back the Earth, and. Uh, Keanu Reeves was so good at manipulating computers. He was such a talented hacker that he was able to essentially give himself superpowers in the Matrix. And uh, he became sort of this messiah figure. Ended, the first movie ended really great. We didn't need sequels. Uh, no, it was of, pretty good standalone. I mean, it, it left it open-ended, yeah. but like, you didn't, but then it in, could have been its own thing. Yeah. And then they did this hugely overblown sequel where mm-hmm. there's just it's overplotted now. Mm-hmm. There's way too much going on. I, I will say this. I uh, rewatched them like a year ago. Uh, Reloaded actually kills. Reloaded is pretty great. Well, and there's there's like that gigantic fight sequence on the freeway. freeway they built a freeway to, to do it. Yeah, that's amazing. There's like man. these weird twin characters that can turn into yeah. ghosts. There's all these new elements in here, yeah. uh, and and it's all dazzling to look at. Yeah, but it's it becomes too much of a muchness after a while. And then they introduced this idea right at the end where they said, uh, I, "I'm going to talk to this uh, computer intelligence. Looks exactly like something Freud." Uh-huh. And well, it's, it's basically Freud, it's building up to we got to get in here, we got to get yeah. in here, action, explosions, get in here, get in here, mm. and then long conversation where we exp- where we do a lot of exposition, a lot of exposition, and explain what the yeah. Matrix really is, and, and we uh, explain he that, explains that that yeah. uh, the reason uh, this Messiah figure uh, Keanu Reeves was able to do what he did is because the machines allowed it to happen. Yeah, they this is actually not the first time there's been a human Messiah. They do this every once in a while because yeah. they know humans like to rebel and they need that as part of their makeup. Yeah. So it's like and, a release valve. Yeah, you know, like every once in a while we let this happen enough, let now, them get it out of their systems, and then we go back to the way things were. Cool, intriguing idea. Yes. Not followed through in the sequel. No, very frustrating. The sequel, uh, the Matrix. Revolutions. Revolutions was the third, yeah, second part of the second one. There's some neat ideas in Revolutions, uh, and you know the idea is that uh, Neo is given a binary choice. He's mm. chosen to. You can either continue on with uh, you know your your revolution, mm. and it's just going to end the exact same way, or you can join us right now and we'll just restart everything and everything will be great. Mm. And he was like, "No, I choose a non-binary option." Remember how queer these movies are? It was maybe <laughs> trans filmmakers. The, yeah. the 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 final film takes place almost entirely outside of the Matrix, which I feel is a bit of a miscalculation because mm. it's just not that interesting a world that you've introduced outside of the Matrix. Mm. Um, but there's still some neat ideas in it. Here's here's why I disagree with you with this. Uh, well, prop- l- l- let me okay. let me connect it back to. Uh, oh, okay, the, then I want to. Well, I, I guess I said it already. Just uh, yeah. the idea that they've they've introduced this uh, intriguing idea. I wish that they had sort of engaged with that more in mm. Matrix Reloaded. Sure. Instead, we had to wait for the sequel, and then the sequel let me down. Well, uh, now I feel mm-hmm. like with uh, Across the Spider Verse, they introduced all these ideas, mm-hmm. uh, and then they introduced this kind of new thematic twist, which it, it isn't like a it's a counterpoint, but it's not something that. Uh, anybody has any chance to sort of react to or come to a conclusion over. Right. It's like, so is this fatalistic or not? And I don't know what, where this... We're in a uh, Schrodinger's cat situation. Yeah, the it's, movie it's exists. Simu- it's simultaneously alive yeah. and dead. And the third I'm movie frustrated exists, and we're because, waiting to find out. Because, 
when like the story concludes and then there's a cliffhanger, I'm okay with it. Look at something like The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Like that at least felt like it concluded. Right. Uh, it left us in sort of a a little bit of a like up in the air in terms of like plot. But yeah, Luke, Luke makes go. a meaningful choice, yeah. multiple meaningful choices. We have a big revelation mm-hmm. about his relationship to Darth Vader. And then there's a, 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 a promise. We will find yeah. Han Solo, even though we know exactly where he is. Cause everyone knows where Jabba the Hutt, he's one of the most famous people on the planet. Luke grew up on that planet, a few mm-hmm. miles away from where Jabba the Hutt lives. It should not have taken mm-hmm. multiple years. Well, but it also, in terms of like tone and pacing, it's like, and at the end it's like, I just learned something really terrible and it could have just said, and you know, left on sort of a sad ending. It's like everybody gets taken away and that's it. We didn't necessarily need additional films. Uh, I feel like my, and and this is my only bone with across the spectrum. I'm I'm waiting. Uh, I'm waiting for my turn. It's (laughs) okay. Just, uh, I feel like it didn't have that. It didn't have this sense of conclusion. Right. uh, Even for a cliffhanger ending, it felt incomplete and that's an issue for me here's why i disagree mm. with the last 10 minutes of what you said <laughs> okay thank you um thank you for letting me get it out no i and i listen and it's it's a it's a fair cop because of this if nothing else it is a cliffhanger ending mm. and it's not a cliffhanger ending like we would get like in a lot of marvel movies where it's actually a pretty satisfying done in one story but then there's a little bit at the end where it's like hey whatever happened to blank or oh what's this hammer doing here that's, mm. Those aren't cliffhangers. Those are sequel teases. Yeah. It's not the same thing. A cliffhanger is a story or plot element that is unresolved. And you cannot get that conclusion within the narrative you're seeing now. You have to come back. Mm. That's a proper cliffhanger. And this movie does that. I would argue more than Empire Strikes Back does that. Because you're right. It resolves it. Is it a happy resolution? No. But the story does come to a conclusion. It doesn't just stop. Fast X stops. Across the Spider-Verse stops. Where I disagree with you. And it's not even the obvious thing where there's another movie coming out and we'll find out when Beyond the Mm Spider-Verse comes out whether they explore all these things to our satisfaction. Maybe they will. Uh And then it'll be great. And maybe they won't. And it'll be kind of a bummer. And it'll be like a Last Jedi kind of thing where it's like, oh, this movie introduced so many cool things and the last next movie kind of contradicted undo- undoes them. it a lot, yeah. And now I, I have to, unfortunately, like the previous movie a little less because I know those didn't go anywhere and that's a bummer. But that's neither here nor there. We just have to deal with the movie that we've got for right now. And in six, eight months, whatever it is, we'll find out how we feel about the whole trilogy. But where I disagree with you is this. I believe that the ending that we get in Across the Spider-Verse, it introduces a new element. Mm. I believe that element is thematically appropriate based on conversations that we had had. It just doesn't start them anew. Can't really get into that without getting into spoilers. Suffice it to say that thematically what Miles Morales represents, I think, is supported but no longer cut and dry. Uh, and as for a conclusion, the film feels complete. I think it does feel complete. I think another character's story, which is introduced in the very first scene in the movie, Mm. that comes to a proper narrative character arc conclusion. That part does. And I think, and I think that gives the movie a sense of a proper chapter has been concluded. They're all spider people. It doesn't have to be just about Miles Morales. Hmm. I think that gives the movie a sense of some conclusion, even though, obviously, we're still in the middle of the action. Okay. Uh, and so that I'm fine I, with. 
that because part's fair. We, I feel we, like... we talk about this a lot, how sometimes action movies will bring the character arc to a conclusion before the action concludes. Mm. Here they're doing both. We're bringing one yeah, character's here's... arc to a conclusion, mm. and then the action will continue in the next series, um, but another character arc has not concluded, and yeah, that there's... will carry us through, theoretically. There, there was a wonderful way they could have ended on sort of a cliffhanger, uh, mm. where we save a lot of those moments for the following film. Sure. Um, the, the Spider-Gwen conclusion could have mm. been saved for the following film, and... Uh, there's a scene where Miles like uh, finds himself in a certain place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think like all of that could have been saved for the following film as well. That would have been kind of a, a good way to start it. Um, I, I, I disagree, but again, and, it's hard to talk about it right now. Yeah, because be um, yeah. the movie's so, good enough that I don't want to like well, ruin I, these cool moments. Yeah, you know? so I, I feel like a lot of people are willing to give that sort of thing a miss or, yeah. or a, a pass rather mm-hmm. uh, just because it's so visually dazzling. It's wow, just it so is. exciting to watch. Uh, we didn't even mention uh, Mumbatan, uh, the, oh, yeah. the Mumbai Manhattan uh, where they meet Spider-Man, Spider-Man India. Yeah, that's and, a cool, cool bit right there. Yeah, awesome. there's a lot, just a lot of really cool stuff going on. A yeah. lot of really uh, great visual stuff. I feel like though uh, it starts to, after a while, rather unfortunately yeah. feel a little bit like too many modern blockbusters. It's a movie that is purporting to be, and visually, so much different from everything we've seen before. Right. I, I mentioned that, yeah, it feels like a new medium is being invented. And then at the same time, like a, a, a sequel tease and a certain kind of blockbuster structure where we mm. see everything rather than like mm-hmm. cutting to the chase uh, makes it feel like they've... They've had so many good ideas that we're just seeing the director's cut. I felt that oh, way about I, the Batman as well. Oh, I, I agree uh, with you or, on the Batman. That, that's but that's a different vibe. It's um, it's a lot, not nearly as bad in something like Across the Spider Verse. But mm-hmm. I started to get little flavor, like little whiffs of it. And mm-hmm. when I got that smell, it was disappointing. Well, I hear, but and, which is a weird thing to say about this movie. <laughs> Sorry, I just I just want to talk about stuff we can't talk about. <laughs> well, I. I like, for instance, like uh, starting with Spider-Gwen and getting her entire story arc. I feel like in a different kind of movie, that part would have been cut out probably, right? Yeah, probably. And I like that we got it all. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I like that they were able to sort of work it in and pace it well. But at the same time, it starts to uh, feel like the story is trying to spread itself out a little bit too far. No, I don't think so at all. And Because, mm. again, it's the, the idea that it is spread out is the point. Mm. One of the things that I love about this movie, and we, you know, we talked about how... Mm. Um, um, Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099, voiced by Oscar Isaac. Uh, he is trying to rigidly enforce the idea that Spider-Man people have to have an element of personal tragedy and sacrifice mm-hmm. in order to become Spider-People. Otherwise, the universe is at stake. And that is a literalization of a literary mm-hmm. concept. Yeah. The, the hero's journey. This needs to happen. Um, and, and a lot, and I think it's also a, a criticism of a lot of modern media discussions. Bingo, and that's my uh, point. Okay. This is trying to point out that by rigidly following formula, mm-hmm. not only do stories become dogmatic, but characters do as well. Mm-hmm. It becomes fatalistic. It becomes something that must be done simply because it must be done. Because, and the idea that's the this, way you make these things. And the yeah. idea of this movie is that it's, it is attempting to challenge that, mm-hmm. but it is doing that within a universe that is desperately trying mm-hmm. to maintain the formula. Yeah. yeah and, 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 it, and to break out that, of it that, requires uh, effort. That, and I think uh, that's incorporated there, and I think the fact that there is some of that formula in place is part of the oppressive atmosphere. I, I, and I, I think and, that works. And, and I appreciate that part. I think that's actually really clever, and I think yeah. uh, uh, that Spider-Man 2099 calls that fatalism 
canon yeah. is incredibly telling. Yeah. Uh, he, he wants to stick to, to comic book canon. Yeah. Uh, that's the way nerds talk, isn't it? Exactly. They're, they're really kind of flying in the face of that. And I, I like all of that. And I like sort of the conclusion of that and what Miles and Spider-Man 2099 have to say about that. And it was really, really cool. And, but then it comes to that end, that non-ending. I don't think it's a non-ending. And, and it... I and love it, that ending, and it un, and it undoes that conversation that they had earlier in the film. I don't think it does. I actually think it supports uh, it in a really uh, well. I think way. it does. And I <laughs> want to talk about that. You know what? We're going to talk well, about this uh, right. off off mic, uh, uh, and I'm going to share a thought I have with you about that. But right. in any case, it's and it's it's a theory about like where I think the narrative is going mm. in a way that would justify that. Okay, but we'll find out. And this is my thing. I feel. It's frustrating to watch a movie that is not just like ending on a sequel tease, but feels like the first half of something. And we're not going to know how the story actually works until we see the proper conclusion. Because everything I like about this movie Mm. could potentially, when it's recontextualized with the next film, be turned into utter dog shit. Yeah. For all I know, I put a lot of faith in it. They made two great movies, but yeah, we don't know until we've seen it. It is a Schrodinger's cat situation. Hmm. And I have been let down before. Not just by, you know, Star Wars, which at least had two different filmmakers, but something like Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac, which yeah. had a brilliant first half, had a mostly, mostly brilliant, brilliant second half, half yeah. <laughs> and then the last, like... Five minutes No, not something. even five minutes. Last, like, 60 seconds of that movie. Like undoes almost undoes everything. the entire yeah. fucking thing, and now this first half, which I thought was really interesting and daring and challenging and fascinating and full of great character work, mm. uh, now becomes in service of a shit ending. Yeah, that retroactively ruins everything that came before, and that sucks. Yeah, and so like, I'm not. I I, 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 I want to encourage people to watch all of Nymphomaniac, all five hours of it, uh-huh. and turn it off when the sun comes up. <laughs> there's a scene, there's a scene right near the end where they see the sunrise. Turn it off. You've mm-hmm. seen the the best version of that movie. Yeah, when, when Stellan Skarsgård leaves a room, you're yeah. good. Stel- Stellan yeah, Skarsgård is he's going to leave a room. Stop. Literally, just turn Stop the movie right off. There. Yeah, it's you're not nothing <laughs> that happens because then you got a you great happy. movie. And then after, it's just him like just pissing it all down. It's mm. like, um, and listen, that may that that may not happen here. It'd be nice to have faith, but I've been doing this too long. <laughs> to just put put total faith in something I haven't seen. What I can say is this. I've seen Into the Spider-Verse, and it is a brilliant film. I think it's mm-hmm. one of the best animated movies of the century. I've seen Across the Spider-Verse, which on its own, or at least in conjunction with Into the Spider-Verse, is also one of the best animated movies of the century. It is absolutely eye-popping, dazzling, inventive, exciting, wonderful character work, uh, exciting concepts and ideas. I love so much about it. But I have to accept that at least until Beyond the Spider-Verse comes out, my positive view has a little asterisk next to it. Yeah, yeah. That theoretically my opinion could retroactively change because we're not just seeing another adventure these people are on that may or may not be as good. Like, the fact that... That's, that's, uh, that's, I don't know. That's the fact, Fast and Furious like the fact, the, yeah. like, the fact that, like, Quantum of Solace wasn't great didn't really ruin Casino hmm. Royale. Yeah. Uh, here, and actually, that's not even the best example because they, they kind of continue some elements, but, like, a, a bad... Um, what's the one I'm thinking about? Um, Die Another Day. Right. It's stupid. It, it's it very, doesn't very, ruin very Goldeneye. Bad, yeah. Goldeneye is still good. Yes. 
Um, here, that, that could happen, and I have to allow for that. But in the interim, until that movie comes out and either blows me away, disappoints me, or makes me shrug and go, meh, hmm. we've got an absolutely sensational motion picture right here, and I am determined to enjoy I, it while I, I, I want, can. I want everybody to see this movie, yeah. by the way. And I, I, I wanna, all of my qualifications are like nitpicks, and I uh-huh. understand that. Well, this is why we, uh, had, we even instituted a rating system in the first place, is because mm-hmm. sometimes we'll spend so much time talking about the complexities or the yeah. nitpicks or the so, issues yeah. that a movie brings up that we sometimes lose sight of the fact that this overall is a positive yeah. review. So, I, and I want to yeah. say like right away, this is an enthusiastic C plus for me. I think people yeah. should see this movie. And if you're new, uh, a C plus is our highest. That's rating. our highest rating. Yeah. Uh, I, I want it is our highest rating bar none. No question. Yeah. Uh, my, my issue is that uh, I'm reviewing one half of a movie and that's fair. And, and that frustrates me because mm-hmm. I understand that, they could do something that they've set up or said uh, that will disappoint me. It's possible. Uh, maybe maybe they'll pull through with flying colors. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like we have to take those two movies as a unit, mm-hmm. and the second half of the movie isn't done yet. That's and, and listen, you know what? That's fair. Hmm. But again, this movie is trying to capture in many ways a lot of essences of the comics. Mm. And when we used to be able to pick up individual issues more often, yeah. like we would just, and, and I don't mean like, because we can still do that now if you go to a comic book store, you go to your whatever service you use online. But like, back when comics were not so readily available, and it was basically there was a spinner rack at your local pharmacy, mm. and they got whatever they got. And you didn't know if you picked up an issue with Spider-Man if you were ever going to read the conclusion in the next issue. Hmm. That's something that I kind of miss, honestly. <laughs> There's a certain sort of There's... devil-may-care kind of quality yeah. to it. Like, you're just diving in the deep end and you don't hmm. know if you're going to swim out. Uh, and I that, mean, that and can be exciting. That's a very particular experience. And, yeah. and I had that, too. You know, you have to start reading comics somewhere. Of course, exactly. I was in the 90s. I could start with number one whenever I wanted. There are all kinds of number ones. That's true. Stop uh, bumping the table, please. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, I, I, I appreciate that experience, but I feel like um, across the Spider-Verse, it isn't necessarily going for that. It's just sort of, mm. incidentally, what's, ha- has that, shares that what, quality. What's the first thing we see on screen? Uh, it's just color. No. The Comics Code Authority. Oh, did there, I, there's I think the I first that th- The first thing on screen, there's like a black screen, mm. and then there's there used to be, a, a, a in the corner, it looked like a postage stamp. Uh, the Comics Code Authority approved, which means that it had passed muster based on this sort of system of self-censorship, not unlike the production code or the Hayes Code. Uh, it's kind of gone now. People it it is gone now. Really. And it's actually a Dan Slott joke because um, when Dan Slott did She-Hulk, and he really focused on the fact that She-Hulk was a lawyer, um, one of the things that he did, he made it all very meta. And in order to establish precedent for superhero law, which hadn't really been done very well... Uh, one of the things you could cite as precedent because the comics code is a government agency. Mm. Any issue of a Marvel comic with that code oh. is legal precedent. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so the, the the specialness of the comics code is kind of cool that it's in mm. there, actually. So All I think right. it's just establishing, like, this is a comic book. Oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, the, the executive producers were uh, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Um, yeah, I think they worked on the screenplay, too. Yeah, yeah, they did the original. They also did, you know, some... Mm. Pretty, pretty brilliant comedies. Yeah. Uh, based New directors on, this time around, but yeah. you wouldn't. It doesn't miss a beat. It no, doesn't feel like yeah. it's that different vibe at all. It's like really 
exciting. They also threw in a little joke. Uh, in one of their first movies, mm. uh, there was a sound error. Somebody coughed uh-huh. uh, uh, during one of the recording sessions. Uh-huh. And they sort of had that uh, during like a rough cut of the movie. And they heard it. Like there's a little almost inaudible coughing sound uh-huh. just as the studio logo is fading down. Oh, is that what that was? And it, and they've, they said, that's kind of cute. Let's just leave it in the movie and see if anyone notices. Nobody did. Uh-huh. So, well, we're going to do that with all of our movies. So any Phil Lord, Chris Miller movie, as the, the studio logo fades down, you're going to hear a little cough. But in this one, there's the, actually like in the bottom of the mm-hmm. screen, you hear like, you see like written out, huh. like in a combo cough. Cough. I was wondering what that yeah, was. It's, it's, it happened it's a, so fast that I couldn't pick up on it. It's a cute it. little running gag from I the didn't know that. That's yeah. amazing. Thank you for that. That's yeah. really cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, Sp- We've talked enough about Spider-Man. Wait, I, have we? But we'll, we'll stop for now. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is not the only major theatrical release this week. We also mm. had a new horror movie uh, based on a short story by Stephen King, who's this obscure... I'm not even going to bother finishing that joke. You know what that joke is. He's a very popular writer, and I was going to downplay that for the purposes of humor. I'm done with that now. Stephen King is one of the most best-selling authors of all time. You've probably heard of him. You've probably seen some of the movies based on his work. probably read some of his work. The movie I'm going to review later, Shooting Stars, makes that joke about LeBron James. Great. We Uh, we heard he did okay. was one of the the jokes about LeBron James. Uh, The Boogeyman is based off of one of his uh, early short stories. It was published in 1972, 1973. Yeah, and uh, it's a creepy story. Have you ever read it? No. Uh, The story is... As I've said, I've read one Stephen King story and it was it. Alright. That's my experience. Well, I know that was it, but like, which one did you read? My God. Describe the boogeyman, will you? The boogeyman was a short story, and it's quite short, but it's a it's a story about a guy who goes into a therapist's office and explains to him that he's in a harrowing mental state, uh, and his children, multiple children, have died under mysterious circumstances after claiming they were being attacked by the boogeyman. And in each instance, he would go into the kid's bedroom. They died, and the closet door, which was shut when he left, is now open. So there's a monster in the closet. It's an old, mm. you know, childhood campfire tale. The Boogeyman. Short short story. Just what what if the Boogeyman was actually yeah. killing children? And there's, yeah. there's a couple of twists on it, but that's the basic premise. And we're going to use it through the premise of someone trying to convince a psychologist that I'm not crazy. This is real. Uh, that story had, I think it's been a couple of shorts that have been based on it, but it had never been turned into a feature film, which is weird because a lot of people love that one. Um we got a new one now. It's a feature film directed by Rob Savage, who directed Host, which is one of the best movies of the lockdown wave. It was a really good movie, yeah. Excellent found footage horror movie about people performing a seance in the early days of the COVID lockdown. Uh, and it turns out one person wasn't taking the safety precautions seriously and potentially doomed them all. Pointed. <laughs> Nicely done. Genuinely scary, pretty innovative because they had to do it all remotely. A lot of movies tried to do that. Very few of them did it as well as this. It's it's a really great film. Uh, he did a movie last year called Dashcam. Not as good. I, genuinely I mi- grating motion picture. Dashcam, but yeah. I, I did not care for it all. I found it genuinely annoying to watch. Um, so we're in an interesting place where it's like, okay, I've seen one of his movies and it was great. I've seen another one of his movies and I didn't like it. So the third movie is going to be the one that tells me, is he great or is he crap? And it's just okay. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> It's like, damn it, I well, still don't know. Th- this, is, this is, he's proving he can make a studio picture. Basically, uh, the, the, and he can. Yeah. So yeah. he got like a pretty typical studio script, uh-huh. got some, you know, 
good, good actors. Yeah. Uh, I, I wrote an article about how, uh, in order for the actors to get into character, they spent two weeks just like going bowling and hanging out. Yeah, living as a and, family. It's Christmas Cena plays the dad. Yeah. Uh, he was the agent and heir earlier this year. Really good actor. He was I hilarious think, in air. Uh, Sophie Thatcher. Sophie I think. Thatcher is the Yeah, act, plays the, the teenage actress, daughter. Yeah. Uh, she was recently in the book of Boba Fett. And then I forget the younger actress's uh, name, but she played uh, uh, the child version of Princess Leia oh. in the TV series Kenobi. So, uh, a bit of a coincidence. Uh, her name is uh, Vivian Lyra Blair. Uh, yeah, all talented. Actress. Um, all talented people. And they play yeah. a, a family. They're grieving. The mom had very recently died. Only within, mm. like, it's like the beginning of the school year, she died over the summer. Yeah, and, and uh, they're all very, very sad. Her, her the, stuff is still in the yeah. house. They're all very. It's it's yeah. very, very bleak and very sad. And yeah. into this sadness comes uh, the excellent David Dustmalkin. Uh, he's great. Yeah, he was Polka Dot Man in the Suicide Squad. Yeah, he's having um, a moment. He's like he's, he's, he's really good at playing. Gone from his, a character uh, actor to guy getting bigger and bigger roles and things. Yeah, and, yeah. and he plays like kind of uh, really intense roles very well. Yeah, uh, he he comes to Christmasina and Christmasina is a shrink. Uh, yeah, and he's trying to continue to work even though he's in mourning and uh mm. and sophie thatcher is also she's like trying to wear her mom's dress and mm. doesn't get any respect from her friends her friends are terrible to oh, her they're in this terrible. movie like they're like your mom t- died your mom died like two months ago why aren't you over it yet? yeah like jesus christ yeah you're, you're such a drama queen it's like i'm sad yeah <laughs> fuck off yeah, what a uh but yeah christmas cena uh sees this like strange guy kind of comes into his office and mm. this guy says uh I've been accused of killing my family mm-hmm. and it's not really me though. And I need you to know that it's this thing, mm-hmm. this monster has appeared. And I, they, that was the thing that killed my family. This Bye, I'm out of the movie. This and whole the, sequence, this is like maybe 10 minutes, five, mm-hmm. probably more like five mm-hmm. is genuinely harrowing. Like he's really frightening just because yeah, he's such a good actor and he's yeah. selling it so well. And, and Chris Messina doesn't know what, you know, what to trust. Yeah. Like I need to go make a phone call and then, mm-hmm. Uh, something really horrible happens to that guy in their house. So yes. uh, while Sophie just, Thatcher is around, and that's very yeah, traumatic. So everything's really horrible. And wouldn't you know it? Uh, mm-hmm. This seems to have attracted something. Mm-hmm. Uh, that creature he was talking about is a creature that they see barely, kind of peeking mm-hmm. through the shadows. That's the boogeyman. And now um, it is in their house, and it is mm-hmm. feeding off of their grief and their fear, and it is hiding in the closet, in the corners, and in the dark. And it is after the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? It's the boogeyman. It's That's boogeyman. all you need to know. We're not going to uh, get into in that, like it's it's you know it's it's biology or anything like that. There is some uh, dialogue later in the film because uh, mm. there's some investigation where you know where you know, where did it live prior to me? So yeah, where did it come from? Look, it wasn't here see before. See where it's coming yeah. from. It, it, we see that in a lot of ghost and de- devil movies, uh, and it's implied just like in it. That it's like this ancient Lovecraftian deity that's mm-hmm. now sort of living among there, humans. Yeah, so I think forever. it's even older than humanity itself. Yeah. Like I don't. You can just say it's the boogeyman. I know that. That's fine. Uh, here's here's my thing with this movie, and this is the thing that's frustrating because all the actors are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's it's it's the creepily, filmmaking is good. It's creepily yeah, it's photographed. Really there's, wonderful editing. There's, there's a lot a of good few, jump uh, scares yeah. in it. There's one jump it's, scare in particular that really had you with me. I was like, ah, yeah. like genuinely got me. There was. Uh, and there's a tendency of this kind of movie to keep because it's mostly about the dark, the the creature yeah. that lives in the dark, to keep things really invisible. You can't see yeah. anything. And I've I've seen too many movies where they film in shadowy locations and you just can't see any damn. No, thing. it's just genuinely uh, hard to look at. And uh, here, that no, it's controlled. Rob, Rob Savage and his cinematographer. Let me look at the cinematographer. Yeah. Uh, know how to light these scenes and film Stop them. So there's like little. 
There's darkness, uh, but it's not glimpses it's, of the monster. It's, it, yeah. You're not looking Eli, into a void. Eli Bourne is the name of the cinematographer. Eli Bourne, it, you're not looking into a void. Your your gaze is being controlled. Yeah, and that's what you would see in maybe like the early films of like Owen Roisman. Mm-hmm. Like this is how you do inky cinematography. It's not just not lighting it. It's making sure only the most important things have any light on them whatsoever. Um, as a PG thirteen jump scare fest, it's okay. The problem is, is that it's a PG-13 jump scare fest, and I don't mean to write that off as a genre. What I mean is that that is currently being kind of done to death. There is a whole genre, I I don't think it has a name, I've been calling them griefer movies, where Hmm. uh, the monster of the movie is a literal monster, but it is the physical personification of the protagonist's psychological turmoil, whether that's grief or fear or their like sexual baggage and it follows uh grief and trauma are becoming have long been for mm -hmm. like maybe the last 15 years Mm -hmm. uh maybe something 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 9-11 uh a really really common theme in a lot of horror movies well and it's, it's always been something that horror has dealt with but i think in the last 20 30 years or so as we've become more uh as, as we'll, psychology we'll, has yeah. been less stigmatized and oh. we talk about these things more openly and more people are familiar with some of the actual terminology that we use, characters in movies are more articulate about it. I think that's reasonable. I think we just have to adapt with that. The problem with these kinds of movies, and there's a lot of great ones. Like The Babadook is a classic. It's hmm. fantastic. It's a modern horror classic. I would say the same for It Follows. And there's a lot of versions that are like... I think Smile is, is absolutely astounding. It scared the mm. pants off of me. And there are other ones that are really good, but don't quite nail it, like uh, David S. Sandberg's Lights Out, which has a lot of creepy bits in it, but really whiffs the ending, and I'll explain why in a second. Um, the problem with these movies is that the audience is made painfully aware that the monster isn't a guy in a costume. It is a representation of psychology. Yeah. And as such... It cannot be beaten to death with a baseball bat. You cannot electrocute it in a swimming pool. That doesn't actually do anything. And it, and as a result, it defies not just horror filmmaking, but basic principles of filmmaking that a lot of filmmakers rely on. The idea that there must be, towards the end of the movie, escalating action. And, and not just d- tension, action. Well, and... Uh... Escalating action, a confrontation, a climax yeah. of some kind. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, you know, electrocuted in a pool. No, but face, usually, yeah. usually a physical showdown yeah. of one kind or another. Mm. And the, the and thing it, is, is that simply killing the monster doesn't kill the monster because the monster is in your head. Yeah. So these movies, like have to, these movies have to end with either the monster winning and person someone mm. overcome by their emotional turmoil. Yeah. Uh, them or, overcoming the emotional turmoil, which will usually basically take the form of we're in therapy now, or yeah. uh, learning to live with it. Yeah, which and, was part of the Babadook. Um, exactly. I feel like a, a skilled filmmaker can do one of those things. And sure. e- even if it's like, I'm going to face off the monster, I'm going to set it on fire, but mm. then, you know, there's usually little symbolic indicators. They walk outside and now it's sunny out. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, there's a, a, a little bit of a flash forward, a little bit of an epilogue, and there's more, like, mm-hmm. light and joy in the N- house. Nightmare on Elm Street has an ending that's a lot like that, yeah. where it seems like we have physically defeated mm-hmm. 
Freddy Krueger, but the actual ending of the movie points out, no, he's in your subconscious. Yeah. That's always there. Yeah, and yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street is like kind of a double back. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, you didn't defeat the monster. But uh, the problem is that when your movie is so literal and when you just try to make it about the physical manifestation of the monster and the physical threat that it poses, mm-hmm. a movie like The Boogeyman, which runs out of ideas pretty early... It doesn't have a lot of ideas. No, it's not terribly sophisticated. It literally just, it's pretty cool when it's following the short story, but that's over by about 10 minutes into the movie. And now what we are left with is, frankly, an underwhelming rehash of Lights Out, which also had a lot of Mm. gags in which the monster is only visible when it's dark. I think and it's, so when uh, the lights are on, it vanishes. I think the movie is incredibly capable. Mm-hmm. I think the performances are good, and I love the photography. I think the monster is scary enough. It made me jump a couple mm-hmm. of times. There's but a couple it's, of gross bits with the monster. It, it's almost like a baseline reading of how these things ought exactly. to go. It's not, it's, it, it it's not add extraordinary in any kind of way. Exactly. It's, it's just okay. It doesn't do anything terribly wrong. But it also is just sort of a textbook example of just how generic... This particular subgenre, the griefer subgenre, has gotten has and become, yeah, and that for for horror, arguably worse than bad because that <laughs> means it's not having an impact, and that is scary because that means that this may be we, we've reached a point where a saturation point. Mm-hmm. Where this particular approach it's, has become kind of familiar. It's yeah. just familiar. And like maybe we need a little break. Maybe we need someone to just inject some new vitality into it. Maybe in a week or a month or whatever, we'll see another movie does something very, very similar, but does it in a different way. And all of a sudden, it feels fresh and exciting again. That's totally mm-hmm. possible. Or there's but, other ideas we yeah. need to start exploring with horror. Also, and... that's true. I'm just saying, like, but I don't think that. We have a tendency sometimes because horror tends to move in waves and there's certain things that become popular, subgenres that become popular. They're incredibly popular, everyone loves them, and then sometimes there's a tendency to just throw them away. Everyone is making found footage horror movies. Now we've pretty much thrown them away. They don't really come out in theaters anymore, you know? Nothing really wrong with the found footage horror genre, it's just they made so many of them that it no longer felt uh, uh, new and exciting even the ones that were actually pretty good. Mm. And it just needed to simmer down a little bit, you know, wait to be goosed. So the boogeyman is just baseline, mediocre monster in the closet movie. Yeah. There are better versions. Lights out is a better version, except for the ending of lights out, which is profoundly irresponsible. Uh, It is just genuinely a gross way to end a movie about mental illness, and Mm. I do not care for it because it argues that the solution to the problem... If if the solution to the problem in Lights Out that the movie presents to us is what the movie actually thinks, then the real-world analog of that is repellent. What they're offering is just gross. And Mm. I think that movie desperately needs a sequel to take the edge off of that and try to sweep that up. But anyway... uh, Regardless, this has been done better. It mm. will be done better, I'm sure. This is just well, okay. I think this almost feels like another audition piece for Rob Savage, sure. the director. It feels like I, I can do. I can make a, a real a, a bigger, movie. bigger production, and, I've, yeah. I, wouldn't and surpri- I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, tackle something even larger next time. Sure, uh, I'd give him I, another project. Like I don't think no, it's I, bad. I just think the material I think, is. I think generic. this. I think this is 
competent, which, you know, is almost like damning with faint praise. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I was still so moved by host that I feel like yeah. he actually has a voice as well. So mm. we'll see how he continues to make movies if he does. I th- so. I'm, look- I'm hoping he has better material next time. Yeah, maybe That's so. what it boils down to. All right, we got two more movies. I didn't mm. see them. You did. Okay. The, one of them is a, is a horror thriller, I believe, called Follow Her. Uh, yes, it's called Follow Her. Um, you were talking about... Uh, Last week, what was it? Was it just called Influencer? Influencer, uh, yeah. yeah was, Shutter, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of movies coming out in, in the next couple of years mm. about influencers. Right. Uh, there, there was a movie I, I saw earlier this year called Slayers, which was about influencers and how they're being influenced or they're being recruited by vampires nice. to sort of sell the vampire brand on social media. Like, oh, it's, that's, that's a fun a, idea. It's a, an element of the movie. That's a fun and, idea. And yeah, Thomas Jane is it is like the grizzled old yeah. Van Helsing type of a character. I like Slayers a lot. I think that's really fun. Cool. Follow Her is also about. Um, that divide between what we're selling online and who we are in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot going on in Follow Her. So it's about a, a, an internet model and cam girl, mm. sex worker, uh, played by uh, Danny Barker, who's also the film screenwriter. Mm-hmm. And she... Uh, and this movie has a lot of double backs because it starts out with her sort of in this weird torture scenario. And she's like torturing this guy who's I think he's locked in a freezer and uh, is like I'm, I'm never going to let you out of here I'm going to torture you and uh, he, after a while he starts saying yes please uh-huh. and I realize oh wait this is a fetish video he's yeah. hired her to do scene. this this is sexy We're times for to him be enjoying this yeah and uh, but his oh, face is, his face is blurred out we don't see his face and then we pull back a, a, okay big reveal then we pull back another layer it turns out she kept that video and she's been posting it online to these sort of this cadre of filmmakers as this kind of cinema verite here's the weirdos i have to deal with okay and but their faces are all blurred out so it's okay, okay. she's not exactly. violating their trust yeah until she makes another one of these videos the censorship blur doesn't work for a minute so people can see his face oh no but it's really good Oh no! And there's that moment where her fingers like hovering over the mouse button, and wouldn't you know she publishes it? Why don't you just take a minute and and blur yeah, well, that thing it, out? It's it's one of the uh, there were circumstances like she had to do it at, like that moment, or just like she posted it, didn't realize it, and then left it up. Uh, okay. She is then uh, shortly thereafter hired, like the next day, hired by somebody to come out to a very remote cabin, place where the cell phones don't work. Oh, those and help her finish a screenplay he's been working on, which is really Hitchcockian about people who are locked in a cabin together. (laughs) Wouldn't you know it? And there's also this weird sort of sexual element. He's constantly flirting with her and she, in order to keep her, you can tell she's doing it to keep herself kind of safe. It's like trying to flirt back in a way that's sort of keeping at arm's distance. Yeah, without... I, I, I'm not. I'm not being rude to you, yeah. but no, thank you. She's like, yeah. she feels like she's in danger. You can tell mm. she feels like she's in danger, so she's sort of trapped against a wall. And right. and there's an element where her friend was supposed to be there, and her friend couldn't make it, so she's alone. Yeah. And over the course of the movie, we begin to find that the screenplay he's writing are things that happened to her in real life that he couldn't possibly know about. And oh. now it turns out he's trying to turn the tables on her about the kind of film they're making. And is he trying to expose her and the irresponsibility she had for exposing that guy? Uh, what does it say about the secrets we have and how they're leaking online? Mm-hmm. There's actually a lot of rich stuff in this movie. Well, is, is it, it alluded is a, to or is it actually... Because there's a lot of what you're saying yeah. it could, could be done... Hmm. 
uncleverly. It could yeah, be, it no, could be blunt and it could be it, annoying. It actually, like, it actually is blunt, but it's not annoying. Okay. I, I feel like they actually have these very... Subtlety is not inherently a virtue. No, I'm, no. I don't, and, and that I, doesn't bother me at all. There, there's this... Um, the whole show don't tell rule of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. That's something you tell first year film students so mm-hmm. they can, they're encouraged to think of things visually. How can you communicate things just in a visual way? It, it's also and something so that the, the American government came up with. Uh, yeah. And indeed it is because yes. you can, so if you show and don't tell, you can't talk about politics, can you? Exactly. Uh, they wanted to actually make sure that less mm-hmm. politics was leaking into the media that people was consuming. So mm-hmm. they would say like, not only uh, do we not think you should, actually discuss the issues that affect people in real life uh we're going to encourage academia to say that engaging with real life issues is bad writing yeah that's one of the most insidious things that's true you (laughs) can look that up that is some uh, weird shit I, I love a talky movie, by Same. the way. I love movies where people just sort of discuss it. And maybe that's one of my issues with Spider-Man. It's like, oh, no, I want them to just sit and have a conversation. I don't need all they, this action. They do that, uh, too. They do that as well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, in, in this one, uh, follow, uh, follow Her. Yeah. They actually do have a discussion about the nature of privacy and what she what she thinks she was doing with her channel and what he thinks she was doing with her channel and how... Mm there's a moral element to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, how, how much do we expect our lives to be private when we're constantly making them public? Uh, what is our character online as opposed mm-hmm. to our character in, in person? Uh, yeah. That movie, we're all going to the world's fair deals with this as well. Yeah, who are that. we online versus who are we in person? How much are those things separate? Yeah. Uh, how much of it is a game and how much of it is actual, you know, us exploring our identity. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a lo- we're alone on the internet this generation, yeah. and here's we're alone in a crowded room. I I love we're all going to the world's fair so much. It's one of the best yeah. movies of the decade. I'm, uh, I'm, it's was my uh, favorite best movie of last year. Uh, it was it was on my it's top like, ten. It yeah. was one of the few movies we agreed on. Like mm. our top tens were very different last year, and I was mm. very surprised. Oh. I didn't remember you even seeing that movie. No, so. I, I reviewed it. I reviewed it on the show. But yeah, we're all going to the world's fair is really excellent and. This isn't nearly as as revolutionary or as deep as all that. It's actually, like I said, very blunt. But uh, I do like sort of the ideas it comes up with. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's better than The Boogeyman because there's like engaging with some ideas. And the the main... Let me look up the actor who plays like the Mm. the guy that she's writing the screenplay with. Is it scary? It's it's more uncomfortable because okay. this this guy's like kind of creeping around and you realize she's in danger after a while and you know it, it becomes pretty harrowing and a little bit more violent after that. Um, the director is named uh, Sylvia Kaminer. I think this is her first feature. Okay. Um, she's really really good because uh, she's clearly looking at this from a woman online mm-hmm. who has to meet a man. Uh, yeah. And how. How, just what a harrowing experience that is. So a lot, a, there's a lot of themes of this movie about how merely being a woman on the internet mm. can make you a target as well. Sure. So yeah. that, you know, there's tragedy, a, a gender uh, imbalance that this film is also kind of, uh, kind of addressing. Mm. Uh, Luke Cook is the name of the actor. Uh, I he know he Luke played Cook. he played Satan on the new Sabrina series. Oh, I didn't <laughs> see that. I heard that was good, but I never got around yeah. to it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I dig this one. Um, it it played at a festival, uh, and it's only just now kind of okay. coming out in in a sort of smaller release. But yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. Good to know. Interesting one. I think yeah, g- g- worth worth a seek. All right, and then uh, our last film is a bit of an about face. It mm. is a biopic. It's a biopic. It's a biopic about a basketball player you may or may mm. not have heard of. Mm. 
Uh, Whitney, tell us about this basketball player. <laughs> His name is LeBron James. Ah, yes. I uh, remember him from the movie House Party. We we have uh, so we have a, a movie about LeBron James, a fictionalized version about Le- LeBron James, and we also had a fictionalized version of Michael Jordan, which means we are really exploring the Space Jam universe. Oh my God! Really you're right. well, yeah. Um, we had air, and now we have shooting and stars. Now we have shooting Whoa. stars. So yeah, kind of kind of weird that we're coming around on the Space Jam play- basketball. Bugs Bunny should have been a character in Air. I've <laughs> been keen. Yeah, just 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 in the I periphery. Like this will be important later. This is gonna happen. Space Jam in the movie. Uh, maybe maybe one of those big montages, but I don't think yeah. so. Uh, but Shooting Stars is actually about LeBron James as a teenager. I think he was 15 during the course of this movie. It okay. takes place in the mid 90s, and it's about him and uh, let's see. Their names are uh, Drew Joyce, Keith Dambrot, uh, and oh. Romeo Travis. Uh, okay. Did, did, he, he I believe four, you. He and four of his buddies did nothing but play play basketball when they were teenagers, when they were in okay. high school. Uh, they played basketball before school. They went to school and they played basketball. They trained after school at basketball. Then they went home uh, to sort of relax and hang out and be friends together and they would play basketball. And then it was time for bed. They'd play video games and it was basketball video games. They did nothing but basketball. Okay. Uh, Paid off. For LeBron James, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all of these other guys, they never uh, made it to the majors, but they played like in international teams or they coached ah, okay. teams. Like they actually had successful basketball careers as okay. well. They just didn't become gigantic stars like LeBron, LeBron James. Because... Well, very few human beings I, do. I was about to say, yeah, he's, that's, he's that's like a, one in a That's a high bar. But it turns out, you know, these guys were very important to the development of LeBron James and his obsession with basketball because it was mutual. Yeah. It was more about these five kids rather than just him doing, you know, being the, the one maverick. Right. Uh, Dermot Mulroney plays one of the coaches uh, that uh, sort of looks after them. He's really sort of tough. Um, Very reliable actor, Dermot Mulroney. Never phones it in. Yeah. Uh, And um, uh, he and another one of the coaches talk about uh, just coaching basketball games. And they do coach basketball games. There's a lot of basketball. There's there's no sense of like rising action or drama. They just sort of play basketball games. This is another game. Mm -hmm. They win it. They're very happy about it. Mm -hmm. They go to this one. Uh, you might make it to uh, the big league someday, LeBron James. These other guys might not be as good. Uh, you got in a little bit of trouble. Now you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated, but you got in a little bit of trouble for not like a crime. Uh, it was like mm-hmm. some sort of contractual thing. And now yeah. you can't play. And so he begs, I want to play some games. Not because I want to win. I just want to play games with my friends because we're about to graduate high school. Right. And they do that. And that's the movie. <laughs> they just this is I, what they, this is what uh, you call a hangout movie. Okay, and I those like those can be good. And I like a good hangout movie where it's not yeah. really about the story; it's about the conversations that characters have when they're hanging. It's, out it's what it's like to be in the room with them mm-hmm. when nothing when it isn't life or death. Yeah, which is something film can do, and it's really valuable actually yeah, to and, get and that that sense of to be a fly mm-hmm. on the wall. And that, that's something I like about. Um, a lot of Richard Linklater's movies. Yeah. His, a lot of his movies are just about conversation. Yeah. Uh, the before movies are all about conversation. Waking mm-hmm. Life, it, mm-hmm. it's an animated film, but it's also just about conversation. Days and Confused. Days and Confused. Yeah, exactly. yeah. A lot of people just sort of hanging out and talking. And, yeah. and it can feel really important, yeah. but it's really important because that's just what life is. Yeah. Uh, and those kinds of movies have a little bit of texture to them. We get to know about their characters. We get to know about sort of their their yeah. uh, their lives and who they are. We don't get that in this movie. <laughs> There's no texture to this movie. It's directed by a guy named Chris Robinson who does a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. And, well, he's done a lot of, he's a lot done a lot of music, music videos. videos he well. did a movie called ATL mm-hmm. um, and a movie called Beats. And I, didn't I didn't that, see but, ATL or yeah. Beats. I heard ATL was 
okay. I, I remember getting mixed reviews. Yeah. Um, he has no sense of sort of dramatic tone. And he has no sense of, like, pacing. It's just, Darn. this is what LeBron James was like as a teenager. Isn't that neat? Here's, here's... It's like, well, yes, LeBron James was a teenager once. I knew he didn't spring fully <laughs> formed from the head of Zeus. So he was born and raised. Uh, I, I, here's here's the thing that, that upsets me. Because here's the I I don't know hmm. very much about sports. Okay. Uh, and if you knew me, you would know how, how comical an understatement that is. I, like, well, I literally I, I... had to... I had to have someone explain who LeBron James was to me. Not that long ago, <laughs> like within the last couple of years, it's kind of like biggest He's, basketball I, I, star in the world right now. I get now, it man. now. I just don't follow it. It's not. It's not my thing. I have respect for everyone who does it. Everyone who does it at that level. Everyone who just puts in the effort. Tons of respect. I don't follow it. Mm-hmm. I, do, I don't know. Um, that's that, and that's and you know what? That, I think that's a flaw. That's a huge part of culture mm. that I do not know about, and I, I'm actually admitting and to. I, a fl- I'm not bragging I, uh, about this. It's a flaw. Mm. But what I do know about LeBron James is that at some point, when he was young, I assume when he was in college, maybe when he was in high school, uh, an older version of LeBron James visited him from the future, thanks to the power of <laughs> cryptocurrency, <laughs> and told him. That he's going to be a big deal and assured him this early version of himself. And I didn't know this, but a young LeBron James with a lot like a CGI character um, assured him that he would be he was ready. Hmm. That scene's not in this movie. What the fuck are we even here for? That's the most interesting thing that ever happened to him before he became a big deal in basketball. Yeah. Come on. That was a commercial, by the way. It was a. It was everywhere. You're, you're going to you be couldn't a hide star. it. Yeah, it was a weird commercial for cryptocurrency. Because if you're crypto, if you if you buy our cryptocurrency, maybe you'll be LeBron James mm. getting out of the ground floor. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, the, the, the word the word I want to use is, uh, and, and this is one you see in, in criticism a lot. Uh, it, it's it's a hagiography. Okay. Uh, is it a hard G? I always thought it was a hagiography. I've heard it both ways, actually. Oh, so I'm never really sure. Let's see if we can look that up. That's ha- worth. Is it hagiography or hagiography? I heard it on Jeopardy the other night, and they said hagiography, so maybe maybe they got it wrong. Which actually comes Um, from the Greek for uh, a biopic of a saint. A yeah, religious leader. Like a biography so of a saint. It's so usually it's, yeah. very positive. So it's it's very positive. It's not sort of a warts and all. It's not about his struggles. Mm-hmm. They don't try to sandwich in some kind of drama. The big drama was he just wants to hang out with his friends. Yeah. And that can be really great. It uh, looks like it's a hard cheat. It's hagiography. Hagiography. Yeah. Okay. Right. So I, I was I, from... No, I, I've, from, I've from, gotten from wrong Graf. in the past. From Graffy and uh, yeah. Hagios is holy. Hagios. Sorry. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it's very positive about LeBron James, and it has all those chirons at the end, and, and like I said, it makes that joke. And uh, here are his other five friends, and they went on to these prestigious basketball careers. This guy coached, mm. this guy played overseas, and this is LeBron James. We heard he did okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that cute? Isn't that adorable? Mm. Uh, uh, that, that's, okay. that's, that's all, that's so all you, we have with this movie. Uh, yeah, shooting... Well, so if, you're, probably if you're, gonna, uh, you're probably not going to question him too hard at this point. No, you know? um, like, I'm trying to think, like, I've seen a movie uh, that kind of just mm. just did that. It was just really positive about a character before and didn't really have a drama. Like, um, that wasn't a biopic? That, that was or wasn't a biopic. Well, I mean, I've seen... Um, uh, I, I know uh, I've seen something like that before. I just can't can't call it to uh, mind right now. Oh, my God. I, I, but yeah, I'm just, if, if I'm just you, uh, whiffing in all these like, terrible biopics. If you biopics love LeBron James... Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, watch this movie. This is uh, a, a fun way, like a fun fictionalized version of his youth, where these actors yeah. are playing the, the young versions of LeBron James and his buddies. Yeah. 
Uh, if you don't know LeBron James, it's going to be real, be real boring to you. It's not a good introduction to who LeBron James is. Maybe just watch his games. There you go. Watch him play. Fuck, watch He's... the new Space Jam if, if you have to. <laughs> Dude, I don't do recommend that, but... Uh, do you have to, it's, really? It's, it's a rotten uh, movie. The but... Fablemans. Oh, there you that's go. That's a hagiography. Yeah. That's that's not... He's doing it to himself in that movie. Yeah, that one's weird. Everyone's just sort of fine with that. That... I wasn't I was, so fond of the family. No, I wasn't either. But that's a definitely a good example right mm-hmm. there. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, anyway, it's relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't see it, so I'll just take no, a look so, at that. So it's yeah, yeah. ultimately kind of a boring flag. There you go. <laughs> just watch these kids play basketball. All right. And they're still doing it. Good for them. Uh, well, that's I'm it pr- for... Pr- proud of all of them in life. Yeah. Just don't need to see this movie. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, just, be- just because not everything is a movie. Mm. Or at least not everything is necessarily easily transformed into a movie. So, anyway. Uh, that is it for Critically Acclaimed. We're going to review our movies on a scale of C- to C+. Uh, C- is below average. It's the worst review we can give a movie. It is something we do not recommend. We think it is below average. A C is average. You know, some pros, some cons. More for one audience than another. Most movies hover around average. And then there's C+, which is above average. The highest rating we can give. We think these movies are definitely worth seeing. We might even think they're brilliant. On that note, Whitney, Shooting mm-hmm. Stars. Shooting Star, uh, C-. Minus. Not, mm. not, a, not a, a, a passionate C-, minus, but mm. just kind of a kind of a dull, yeah. nothing kind of a puffball movie. All right, uh, Follow Her. Uh, follow Her, um, a, a very high C. Okay. It, it could, I'm not super passionate about the movie, but I, I mm. thought it, Intriguing. I thought it was very yeah, interesting. Well crafted. Uh, the Boogeyman. That is a middle of the road C. That's this is, a this is like, definition right, of a this C. This is a five out of ten. Like right, yeah. right if, up the middle. If there. it was a short film that was just the David Dusmalkian parts, mm. might have been a C plus. Yeah. But it's not. It keeps going, and it just becomes the a very generic version of mm. Monster in the Closet, and it represents my fears. I've seen it done a lot better. Yeah. But I've seen it done a lot worse. So competent middle of the road. If this is like you're taking your kid to see their very first horror movie and you don't want it to be like to mess them up forever while still actually giving them something scary, it might not be a bad idea. Be a good slumber party movie down the road, maybe. Maybe so. And then uh, finally, uh, so yeah, total C. And then finally, uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which of course um. you spent so much time saying was terrible. <laughs> that, uh, unapologetic C+. Very high C+, if I can even do that. <laughs> Uh, I, I I was exhilarated watching it. Um, yeah. My issues about it being a, a half of a movie mm-hmm. will only last until I see the the second half. And this is my point as yeah. well. I, and I think those are those points are well taken, mm. but they're temporary. Yeah. And eventually we'll we'll the, we'll open that Schrodinger's box. Mm-hmm. And we'll find out if Beyond the Spider Verse addresses issues, makes things retroactively if, better, worse, if, same. If the, if the cat is alive. We're good. <laughs> yeah. if, uh, if Beyond the Spider-Verse is as good as Across the Spider-Verse, this is going to be we're, one of the... We're, we're good, yeah. Maybe the new greatest trilogy ever made. Like, it's just mm. that astounding. Um, yeah, this is a gigantic C+. This is... Mm. Like, if you were, like, worried about superhero movies, like, do we, is there any gas left in the tank? There's so much gas. There's so much gas, well, and they just I, set I think, it on fire, and it exploded I, in this movie. I think, and uh, this is something I, I will should have mentioned earlier um yeah we've been stuck a little too long on mm. what batman begins started yeah uh, christopher nolan uh introduced this notion of realism yeah what, what, what if batman was real yeah. what would that look like and even the mar the, the avengers movies mm-hmm. the, the mcu 
has kind of taken that approach even as they've gone to like wilder and wilder places yeah. which is why they've always had those cute gags like oh this is really extraordinary yeah i, um, I isn't it funny that we use our superhero what? names you like, just you just cut a bus in half you like, know, that, when marvel does of, it it feels like they're a little bit ashamed to be superhero movies yeah, which yeah. Is so weird. they're they're trying yeah. to keep like a lot on the ground one toe in reality yeah, yeah. and and when you're reading a comic book those are drawings on pages yeah you don't need that one tone of reality. You can be as wild as you want. I, I got reality and at the, home. I don't come yeah, so to, the, trying, your, to your superhero movie Trying to for replicate that. like a Jim yeah. Starlin spacescape in like realistic CGI isn't the way to do that. No, go so, nuts. And across the Spider-Verse, finally, mm-hmm. thank fuck, goes nuts. <laughs> like, just do it. <laughs> to be fair, Into the yeah. Spider-Verse did it as well. And, but and, it, yeah. we need more of this. Mm-hmm. And I want more of the live-action movies to acknowledge this as well. Yeah. There's, a, there's, there's a Ninja it, Turtles movie coming up. Yeah. It looks astonishingly good. Visually, at least. Uh, we've visually, only seen the trailer, the, but it, that's looks, what I mean. it, it looks exciting. Vi- visually, it looks I, really great. I, the, the, the design is really wild. It looks like mm-hmm. it's painterly. It's like we're, the more exciting we're doing moments things of with animation Puss the Last Wish was like this as well. Yeah, the fight scenes were really great. Exactly. Like It's exciting to me. And again, it's weird because again into the spider-verse financially unless you count like the ones that were barely released overseas like we talked about at the beginning uh financially it's the least successful spider-man movie we ever had Hmm. even the ones that were considered box office bombs like amazing spider-man 2 made about twice as much as spider-man into the spider-verse and yet it was so good (laughs) it threw down a gauntlet that was and honestly it was such a heavy gauntlet it's taken almost five years for other filmmakers to pick it up. Yeah. And, and we're starting to see it now. We're starting to see that influence come. That's how we got No Way Home. Mm-hmm. You know, No Way Home is a live action version of that, and it's quite good. Um, so, I, yeah. I like, I, I like the moral of that more than I like the I actual filmmaking, but yeah. yeah. I think it works. But regardless, uh, yeah, in terms of not just great storytelling, but great filmmaking, great animation pushing what animation can be, taking away this formalistic attitude that it has to like look like it's in the real world or, or, or that it has some sort of solid reality within it. No. This is pure expressionism and it is beautiful. It is a <laughs> plus. It's, it's already one of the best movies I've seen this year and I've seen some really good movies this year. It's been a solid year for film. All right, that is it for Critically Acclaimed. We'll be back next time with a new Transformers movie about giant robots who came to Earth and decided to disguise themselves as oh. giant robot gorillas. Um, Good disguise. I'm not sure who they, I'm not sure who they who they fooled with that. Good disguise, bro. <laughs> Interesting choice. Oh, that's 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 not a robot from another planet. That's just a giant robot gorilla. Yeah, <laughs> like you see, like you do. <laughs> um, but we got that coming up and a few other things as well, and uh, we will review the living hell out of them. Uh, on the next critically acclaimed thank you everybody for listening thank you everybody for following us please subscribe if you haven't already Mm -hmm. if you uh, haven't left us a review a star rating a sentence anything at all that really helps us a lot you just taking them like 30 seconds out of your day to do that really helps us jump the algorithm and find more audiences so if you haven't done that Please do. And if you really want to support the show even more, you can head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. And if you have the means and you want to subscribe, you can get a lot of exclusive material from us on the Patreon page, including ongoing regular podcasts like Only the Best, where we review every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture. Only the Best International, where we're reviewing every single movie ever nominated for Best International Picture. All our yesterdays, we're reviewing every single episode of Star Trek in order. We do commentary tracks, we do Discord hangouts. 
we have uh, our, our new show, Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, airs every Friday on this uh, channel. You can subscribe for free, or you can get the episodes one week early by subscribing at any tier, even $1 a month, on our Patreon page. And if you're a subscriber on Patreon, you can listen to all of our new episodes without ads, mm. which is a bonus. So, uh, anyway, thank you to all of our patrons. It means the world to us that you've joined us and that you support the show. It allows us to keep doing the show. Uh, and uh, if you can afford to join, great. And if not, thank you for listening. You're wonderful. Have a great time. Have a great week. If you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode, do you disagree with us about Spider-Man, the Boogeyman, that one cryptocurrency commercial, feel free to email us. <laughs> Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail and respond to your questions, concerns, critiques, whatever they are. Uh, we also have a P.O. Box. If you prefer to write in the old-fashioned way, we love it when you do. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, send us an actual physical letter. Send it to this critically acclaimed network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep. And uh, we're on Twitter, at I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And never forget, everyone, including you, is a critic. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what?